Hello, short filmmakers. Today, we're chatting with multi-award-winning cinematographer Sky Davies about her process as a DP and the difference between shooting short films versus features. Sky has recently completed principal photography on her second feature film, Shit, a poetic adaptation of Patricia Cornelius's award-winning play by the same name, directed by Susie D and Trudy Hellier, which is due for release in 2021. Her debut feature, the genre film Blood Vessel in 2018, has screened at numerous festivals including NYC Horror Fest, Grim Fest, Film Quest and Monster Fest, drawing acclaim for her cinematography as well as the prestigious ACS Golden Tripod. Sky's short film work has screened at over 120 festivals, including Berlinale, MIFF, Oberhausen, The Actors and Palm Springs winning many festival awards, as well as ACS Gold, ACS Silver, and the prestigious ACS Golden Tripod for Goodnight Sweetheart, directed by Beck Peniston Bird. In 2017, Sky shot John Sheedy's short film Mrs McCutcheon, which had its Australian premiere at Melbourne International Film Festival, winning Best Australian Short Film. In 2013, Sky shot Neil Triffitt's Emo the Musical, which garnered a Crystal Bear special mention at Berlinale, along with winning Best Short Film at the SPA Awards and St Kilda Film Festival. Sky has also shot second unit for both film and TV, including Stateless in 2020, a six-part series for Matchbox and ABC, created by and starring Kate Blanchett, directed by Emma Freeman and Jocelyn Morehouse, and Undertow, Miranda Nation's deep debut feature, which premiered at the 2018 Melbourne International Film Festival. What I enjoyed most about this chat is Sky's passion for her crew. As short filmmakers, we can get so wrapped up in the director's vision. We sometimes forget about the people who made the film possible with all their hard work on set. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the process from a different perspective today. I came up basically through the camera department. So I came up as um, second AC, well, a camera attachment, second AC, first AC, and then, yeah, camera operator and then cinematographer. And I was obviously I'd always wanted to shoot, but it just had the absolute blessing of being able to be on set with these amazing array of cinematographers. So like, you know, Lance Accord, Russell Boyd, all these phenomenal people, and you learn from them. And so from that I was kind of able to, yeah, work my way into cinematography. That's amazing. And how long did that process take you? Was that years or um, did it happen relatively quickly? I don't know. It's finished. I think it's still happening. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah. But I think for, for new cinematographers and people shooting shorts and they're like, how do I get to where she is? Mm. Mm. Um, it's actually, it's a really funny thing that you say that because uh, I think that I got an email the other day from a director, a young director that I'd worked with, and she said, hey, look, I am just just want to say I'm really happy for how, how well you're going and it's really inspiring. And I'm like, what's that now? <laughs> and it's, you know, aware, you're not aware of where you are until you kind of look back on the mountains that you've climbed before. So for me, I'm, I'm looking at the mountains that I want to climb and it's it's really important for me to look back and kind of go, oh, yeah, that's right, like, I used to worry if I could support myself as a cinematographer and now that's not the concern. The concern is the quality of jobs that I can get and can I produce the quality of work I want to get. So I think the process is definitely still going and I, I, I don't know when 
that kind of kick over to kind of going, I got this, like I'm okay doing this, I've I'm walking in these shoes actually happened. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a female thing though, that we all, I'm not saying you, you're not emerging in any sense of the word, in my opinion. And I say, you've got it. I, you were there. You've got another <laughs> second feature in the can. You're working in TV. You know, you were in one of the 20 women practitioners to watch for uh, International Women's Day this year by Screen Australia. Like to me, yes she's here she's arrived but don't you think it's such a female thing that we're like we're still a bit emerging till like till we're dead yeah (laughs) yeah yeah totally and it's not true yeah Yeah. no it is it is definitely important to um to turn around and look at how far you've come and especially Mm -hmm. like coming from a camera attachment where I was just yeah I'd shot a couple of shorts before I was a camera attachment and you're like oh yeah I know about film sets and then you walk onto the first professional set and I just remember that first day as a camera attachment and meeting up with my flatmate that night at the pub. And he was like, so how's your first day at work? And he was a surveyor. And I just looked at him and I was like, I can't, I can't speak. I can't put two words together. I'm not really sure what happened today. But there's a lot of things, just a lot of things. And it all seemed to happen at once. <laughs> it was just like this terrifying experience. And now it's like the first day you, you rock in and you just, you're so familiar with the way the beast moves and you're just like, this is my beast now. I know how to, how to tame this beast and how to ride it. And I think I'm also, I, um, I've been very lucky for the majority of my career to work with really beautiful film crews so that you're always, you know, you're always, you know, majority, majority of the time. But yeah. so when you, you go onto set, you're like, Oh, these are all my friends. This is my film family. And I know everyone says film family, but after COVID and the way that, everyone just reached out to each other and was like, are you okay? Have you checked on this person? I did. Have you checked on that person? Like that to me is what an amazing family Mm. and workplace to be involved in. So I think then coming onto set, you know, everyone knows you and it's, it's a lovely feeling. And if there's someone new, then you know you welcome them in and show them around. Yeah. It's, It's pretty great. We are so lucky in Australia. We have some international listeners and they are not lucky enough to be working. And I know you're in pre-production at the moment for the fires with Matchbox, but um, speaking about your process, um, I guess, how is it different preparing for a short film compared to say where you are now shooting TV? Or yeah, in particular shooting, like I think comparing because TV's, totally different beast to what kind of comparing features and shorts I think that's kind of a valid comparison um the process for me is always just sitting with the director for as long as you can and going through scripts and just really drilling down on who the characters are where which perspective the scene comes from and in shorts I think um working out the the beats and the energy of the scene and that where at that stage in pre-production where you feel that the editing pace will be going so then for me as a cinematographer I know okay so the crescendo is here this is when we need a bit of space to breathe and you sculpt your shots and your ideas kind of around that um going into a feature that is just so 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 much more important I I think because in a short you kind of you know you know you're going to have one maybe two crescendos and then bam you're out <laughs> roll credits this is great fun mm. but um yeah it's it's a it's a long slog in features and just keeping the director's attention through that process can sometimes be really tricky because it, they've got so many other people asking for their attention and 
you know, you're just one of a production designer, a first AD, a producer, casting that seem to demand so much more attention. Like I don't, but yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think in that way it's just the time and also the subplots. Then there's so many more subplots going on in a feature film that you need to, for me, I need to see if there's a different visual language that goes with those subplots. Do we need to investigate a different um, lighting plan or a lighting design if there's so many different characters and what is the trajectory of the lighting plan through through the spheres and where do you pull back? So it's there's so many more pieces to the puzzle. I mean, yeah, I feel like I'm being a little mm. bit redundant, Not, but yeah. No, well, I mean... I guess that obviously time is something with features but also time in a different way with short films because often there is zero time, zero budget. So how do you make sure you mm. get the shots you need in the can and often you are working, you're very experienced and I know you you work on shorts in between your bigger jobs mm. but often you'll be dealing with emerging directors who are still themselves mm. just trying to learn how to ride the beast as you referred to it. So how do you almost take on that role of like right I've got to I've got to make sure we get what we need in the can um again it comes back to pre-production and talking with the the director finding out I like to watch their work the work that they've done previously and just find out a bit about them like how do you like to shoot do you like to do a lot of takes do you like to shoot the rehearsal do you prefer to rehearse um and that gives me an idea about how much time we're going to have on the day. And so then I kind of know if they're just like, you know what, I am um, kind of a Cassavetes kind of person and I just want to shoot and wander around and get these bits. And I know we'll probably fly through the day and it will, I'll probably come away feeling a little bit compromised, but I know that that's the style of the piece and to go with it. <laughs> but um, that gives you a better idea about how much time you're going to need for each shot. Do you find if an emerging director contacted you now and said, please, Sky, can you shoot my short? How, how do you approach that in terms of even just these questions that you're posing to yeah. them? And it's almost an interview, isn't it, where you're trying to yeah. glean, glean the information and what it actually means yeah, for yeah. you on set on and how much time you have. Yeah. Do you get to a point, do you think, where you're like, oh, like, I just don't know if I can, or is it very important to you to keep nurturing first-time directors? And Oh, totally. Ab- absolutely. And for me it comes down to... Um, the script and the idea and the actual essence of the film and what they're trying to communicate and how they want to communicate it. Um, like something that pretty much kills a conversation for me is like, I just want to do this really cheaply because that to me is kind of like, <laughs> I think that kills it for everyone. Sounds yeah. horrible. You're- we all want to, but you don't say it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> I have literally had that as an opening line in a conversation and I was like yeah. mm, I've got some great people for you to speak to that I'm, I'm probably not the right person because <laughs> you just know that that's but they're not they're so worried at that stage in their career about mm. what's going to happen to them that they probably have lost the essence of the story already and for me with directors it's about um keeping them protected on set in a way that they can hold on to the vision that we've created in pre-production so that when you go onto the set that they're, you know, they don't need to know about the issues that are going on behind the scenes with the 4K, with the bubble that the guy forgot to put in the truck and so now we've got to make other compromises, that none of that and just keeping that kind of that creative safe space I think is a really important thing. I think in the interview process kind of when you're talking with emerging directors who um, haven't shot anything before, I want to I want to know 
what are the filmmakers that they really enjoy and which filmmakers they feel are best reflected in this work. Um, and if they're sitting there kind of going, well, you know, Michael Bay and all these kind of guys and I've got, you know, $2,000 to shoot it, you're like, okay, okay, this, this may really <laughs> not work for you. <laughs> we need to be really creative here. Um, but, yeah, I try and make sure that it's, it's something that can be done. And I think a film can be made on any budget if you're smart about it. And even that Michael Bay reference, if you've got a Ronin, you know, Ronin S or something like that in a small camera, you can get some of those shots. Listening to what you're saying, though, any emerging directors out there shouldn't feel like they can't approach the cinematographer that they would really love to work with. I think absolutely they should reach out to who they want to work with. And if they've got, you know, beautiful ideas, they can you know, approach anyone. You look at, um, okay, so this might be a ridiculous example, but Sam Mendes, his first feature, American Beauty, he reached out and approached the cinematographer he wanted to use. Never shot a feature before. I mean, yes, that's an amazing. He was a theatre director though, wasn't he? He was, he was. And that's the thing sometimes, like I work with a lot of theatre directors as well and the difference in theatre and film is huge for directors to come on and it's something that every single time they're like, I think this is going to be all right. And every single time I'm like, "Hmm." I'll give you day two. Day two it will hit them, maybe at the end of day one. (laughs) Usually at the end of the one, they're like, this is really weird, guys. <laughs> yes, it is. But um, I think, yeah, you should always aim for the stars. And if you've got a beautiful idea and something that really appeals to your cinematographer of choice, then, yeah, they're going to respond. And they, if it's a script that so many times I read a script, I'll be like, oh, I can totally see where I can take this. Or, oh, I'd really love to play on this script to, to try some new technique or something and that would be heap of fun. Or even just like, oh, this person's awesome and I really enjoy chatting with them and I think we could make something really great together. Mm. Well, that's wonderful news for everyone listening. (laughs) And so shooting short films, did that help you segue into long form? Definitely, definitely, definitely. I think it works better for, um, excuse me, I think it's a better transition for directors is what I found to move into their first feature because it can be that the, the short film is the piece that is the the vehicle to do the extended version as the feature. Mm, so I've proof of twice of um, yeah exactly that's the correct term yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've shot two shorts with um, one was with the first time he's a theatre director and it was his first ever short film and off the back that of that Mrs. short McCutcheon? film. That with was Mrs. John Sheedy. Yeah. 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 And off the back of that, he got his first feature film, which is pretty much an extension of Mrs. McCutcheon. Mm. A lot of the same cast went on board it. Um, but they were kind of like, no, you you can't have a first time DP as well. Like you've got it's you, if you're a first time feature director, you can't have a first time DP. And that had already happened to me with um, another short film called Emo the Musical. And then the director got the feature up, but again, it was like Mm-mm, you can't <laughs> you can't have to. And I was that like, that sucks. Oh. How did you feel about that? Um, oh, I definitely gutted. Definitely yeah. gutted because you're like, no, 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 but we made this baby together. And we, yeah, you were a crucial part of it. Yeah. So was that the funding bodies or who who yeah. was it? So the director and producers offered you the role? Yeah. Or... Yeah. Mm. yeah, it would be the, the funding bodies because it's just that nervous thing of um, two first-timers on a feature film. Right. I think it's something that should be looked at as a case-by-case situation rather than this blanket rule because, mm. yeah, I think different people can handle different things. But now I've done two features, so they cannot. Yes, exactly. (laughs) 
And was that back off the back of, say, yeah. winning the Golden Tripod um, with the Australian Cinematographers Society? You obviously got the highest accolade there. Was it? Was that the thing that helped you segue into shooting features? No, not at all. No. Uh, <laughs> there you go guys basically you can shoot award-winning shorts and um still have a struggle to get to get your first feature and I mean that's what this short film pod's all about Mm. no I got my first feature because it was privately funded and I'd shot a short with the director before and yeah and like complete honesty his first choice DP wasn't available and I was like, hi, I am available. <laughs> I can do it. So, yeah. And that, that one, I, yeah, I just won gold for that one. So, no, I'm hoping now that, yeah, it won't be such a struggle. The, my second feature is still in, in the grade. It's just about to finish up on the grade. But, That's yeah. called shit. It's called shit. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> so appropriate, like, I think. Yeah, is that, that it's Patricia Cornelius's play, isn't it? That's been made into a feature. I mean, amazing. She's a phenomenal playwright. Holy crap! Yeah, I can only this. imagine the the writing. It's it just this film. Okay, so talk about first features. <laughs> I was sitting in the grading suite, and I was like, "Huh." I mean, the first feature club because the editor, the two directors, the writer, and the producers. What with the initial producer were all first timers on the feature and they again privately raised money and I was like oh, look what we did we were able yeah. to, to bring it across and that's a good thing of timing too isn't it like okay the first choice wasn't available or whatever boom I'm here I'm ready to go and we are so lucky to have access to that funding here in Australia but equally you really you've got to make your own opportunities don't you because it's yeah. so competitive it's such a small industry there's not much money. So isn't that like that's a real moment, everyone in that room sharing that experience together and like good on you all. Yeah, that was, it was amazing. I mean, that the, my first feature was a, um, ended up being a five-week shoot and we ended up doing, I think, like 11 days of pickups. And Whoa. Um, shit was a 14-day main unit shoot and Ooh. I think one day of, gorilla unit wandering around like us just wandering around at night with a camera I loved it it was so gorilla and so um bare basics after working on so yeah. much stuff that's uh, there's a you know this huge crew and in this, in this instant they just said be as creative as you can and just go for it it's like hot diggity yes let's go there so good <laughs> so fun <laughs> and how often does that happen to a cinematographer where you just get free reign like that never in commercials but I think that's what the beauty of short films is because that is the, t- the chance you get to experiment. So the, the first short that I did straight out of lockdown, um, it's about a, a kid who's having auditory PTSD issues and hallucinations and flashbacks to this car accident that he's been in. And these auditory hallucinations hit him in all different, they're kind of triggered, they can be triggered by, I think one instance was a kookaburra in the park and another one was the razor going off on his, or the shaver when he's trying to shave and when the director was like, oh, I'm trying to work out how to really look into the auditory hallucinations things visually. And I was like, oh, yeah, like let's go with abstraction. Let's go with shift tilt. We can really kind of distort and just feel the chaos of his mind. And she was like, yes, okay, let's do that. And that's an amazing experience just to go for all these different really, really out there images that worked perfectly. Like it just really told, for me, I thought it did, told the story mm-hmm. of this kid just breaking down 
So that kind of, if you were to do that in another sphere that's potentially got a lot more funding, there'd be a lot of questions. Yeah. And they'd always say, just mm-hmm. get us a pass that's completely clean so that if we want to just have him standing there by the sink going, ouch, this really hurts, I'm going crazy, they can just use that bland pass, which they usually try and push for if it's TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that is the beauty of shooting the short film. So that's why I guess you will return to it. And even I think you mentioned to me previously that you would even like shoot a short on a weekend in between longer shoots. Yes, I call it eating too much cake because you just see all the cake. You want, <laughs> I want to eat all the cake. This is amazing. I need to do it all. But um, that was I was shooting ACAM on Jack Irish. And now and again I'd go off and do the second unit stuff. And um, John, the director who I did Mrs McCutcheon with, his sh- next short film, Tani had been meant to shoot like as a story of so many projects last year was meant to shoot in September, then October, then November, December. And he's like, I have to shoot it in January. This is the only time I can shoot it. And I was like, well, I'm working Monday to Friday (laughs) during that time. And he's like, okay, so what about the weekends? And I was like, sure, let's do that. So we took two days off the actual main unit shoot of Jack and we went Thursday to Friday. And then I took the Monday off Jack. So I wasn't just going for, it would have ended up being, 26 days straight and I was like no I can't that doesn't honor anyone so yeah that's I guess that's how much I care about important stories and important relationships mm-hmm. is that um I'll I'll take time off the the paid job to do the unpaid job wow that's incredible yeah lucky John Yes, very lucky. And to that point you just said in terms of taking care of yourself, because often being on set, it's just, it's it's a grueling, it's a grueling task and a grueling job. How do you balance self-care so that you can be in the right mental headspace to sustain a shoot? Yeah, that is so, so, so important. It's, it's interesting for me, um, what I've worked out my foundations are, and it's kind of like a three- a three pillar thing that is the foundation to who I am for me just to function as a normal human is I need access to good sleep and allow myself good sleep. I need to be fit and to exercise each day. So even on shit, we'd shoot these massive days. I'd come home and my mind would be exhausted. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. I do half hour workout, just something just to get, get the, the body flowing as well. And on Jack, I'd ride my bike to work and back. Just because in there, I need for me, I need my body to be exercising each day, and especially as a camera operator, you know, you're always handheld. So I need to be have good sleep. I need to be fit and to be exercising most days, and I need meditation. So you know, ten to twenty minutes each day. The days are busy. Mm. <laughs> a lot of sleep. I was a lot of say, yeah, you've really got to schedule that in because I yeah. imagine your work days are hugely long. Yeah, they are, but I think that it's. It, if I am to do the amount of projects that I do and also to maintain a family and be present to them, then I need to first of all look after myself and take that time and just get up that 15 minutes early so I do have time to just do, you know, 10 minutes of meditation before I head off. Mm. So you are a working mum, aren't you? I am a working mum, yes. yes. That's a whole other element. Yes. My daughter has been on so many film sets. She's been on my hip when I've camera operated. She's yeah, she's my my little champ. assistant, yeah. right hand man. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah, she's not that interested in cameras and hates having photos taken of her. But um, 
Yeah, she's a dude. So sweet. <laughs> it is a very physical job being cam- camera work. It's really cool. Um, have you, do you have to pump weights or anything? Yes. Like, <laughs> It's so hilarious you said that. So going, going onto the fires, we're using the Sony Venice and that's a heavy, like one of the heavier cameras. And I was working with it the other day. I was like, oh, I don't think that, I, I just think I need to do a little bit more. And also using like the Ronin S a lot, you start to like, you just feel it in your biceps. You know, you can do, you do, I don't Basically I worked on a job and he was like, okay, take 18, let's go again. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, (laughs) you know, feeling the burn, mate. (laughs) And it's just, it's not that heavy. It's just that by take 18, you're just like, this is an awkward position to hold my arms with a weight. (laughs) Mm. So, yeah, I do have um, the Kmart weights and I'll do, yeah, I'll do 15, you know, three sets of 15 of those, like the curls and the the back crunches and then I do the, or the tricep ones mm. as well as squats. Like I'm big on the squats. And you can just do those. I do, well, I can do those anywhere. Like I'll do those while yeah. I'm telling my daughter to you know, get into the bath and I'm doing squats while I'm telling her <laughs> to stink it. It's a lifestyle, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Glamorous. So glamorous. <laughs> no, but it's inspiring. I love hearing those three pillars because I don't think it, we don't talk about it enough and it's going to set your foundation and sustain you. As you say, you want a really fulfilling, busy career Mm. and this is how you're going to ensure that you've put those building blocks in place. So thanks for telling us about that. I'm inspired. I need to meditate. (laughs) Well, I (laughs) think it's it's also having those situations where, um, where I haven't, like I've let all of those go and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, I'm not sleeping. I'm really stressed. I just... I'm not doing my best work on set. I'm not grounded and I just I feel muddy and you're like, oh, wow, I've really just let it go. Like I'm mm. burning the candle at both ends and doing way too much. So, yeah, nothing like a really, yeah, the sharp, hard slap in the face of reality to get you back in line. I guess the, the cinematographer is almost the gateway to the crew for the director in a sense. Um, and we often talk about, well, how do you, does the cinematographer, you know, how do they make themselves director proof? But how do you work with, say, the gaffer, who's obviously the next person in line who you're working very closely with? Um, how do you create that relationship? And do you continue to choose your favorite gaffer or how does that operate? Mm, yeah. I think I also choose gaffers depending on the job. There's there's ones that I know if the job's going to be a very small crew and um, is, has a very raw feel to it, then I know not to use that gaffer because he'll find it really irritating and annoying, but that gaffer will really, he, you know, he or she really enjoys that situation. Or if I know that it's, it's a job that has a high level of production values, then go to that person. So I think it depends on the job is how I choose the gaffer most of the time. But yeah, as far as fostering that role, it's hilarious. So I usually like send them through mood boards and scripts and talk to them. And then, you know, like you see on WeTransfer, huh, they never downloaded my mood boards. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't want to see my 25 pages of like <laughs> ambition. No, they didn't. Um, but some do. Some really get into the, the mood boards. Um, I'm big on communication and just being really clear with the ideas that I've got and hearing, just hearing what ideas that they have saying, this is the kind of thing I'm thinking. This is the feel. We're really referencing whatever. So I was wanting to wedge the light and bring it in. But then on that scene, I'm thinking something hard. I like just, you know, even using mirrors and bouncing off there to just really cane it in. 
And they might say, huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, instead of doing it that way, why don't we do it this way? We can do that. And just having that openness and open dialogue to keep it as a collaboration and getting someone who's so much more knowledgeable of lights than I am Mm, mm. because that's what they're there for. Yeah. Are there any girl gaffers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, the last two shorts, Tunnit and Breathe, which is the one with a PTSD kid, I used um, a female gaffer, Hannah Palmer. And yeah, right. She actually did the Steadicam mm. on um, on Breathe and Tunnit as well. So it's, yeah, lovely. Oh, that's relationship. good to hear. Yeah, it's really good to we hear. We need more, I feel. No, there's more. There are, there are others out there as They're well. Coming. They're yeah, coming? Yeah, good. They're coming through. <laughs> <Wait for self. laughs> and look, I'm excited. Yeah. To be honest, shooting a short, um, I mean, doing the budget's always a tricky thing, but often because the gaffer is the one that is coming with the lights and they're putting all of their, uh, you know, assets, their lighting on the line for this short film, often a lot of the budget can get sunk into the gaffer and that's it's always a tricky conversation for a short filmmaker. And do you have any advice in or, or could you just make us feel better about having to <laughs> for, that, money for that outlay in the short film department? I think that the thing to remember um, or one of the things to remember is that every time you turn the light on, that's it, the gaffer's purchased that equipment and every time you turn that light on, it diminishes its lifespan. It's yeah, every time. So by you using it on your short film, you are taking it like taking its lifespan away from him or her who's purchased it. So that's one really good way to to think about it. Mm. Um, and the other thing is when you, you know how much this gear costs, it's it's super super expensive. I mean, depending on how you're lighting. Um, and you haven't had to pay the loan for that. You haven't had to pay the interest. You haven't paid to pay the insurance. You don't have to pay for the storage facility for it to be kept in. So whilst you think, oh, geez, three hundred bucks for you know that that lamp for a day, it's like that's like a tip of the iceberg of what the actual costs. And it's yeah, as I said, not even just the cost of the lamp itself, but everything that goes around it, the maintaining, the people that da, da, da. so that's one way to think about it. The other way to think about it is when you're sitting in Berlin sipping your champagne, the gaffer is at home and will never get invited to any of those festivals. They will not have much to do with the film after that day, but you will as a director and as a producer, you guys will take this beautiful thing that you've created around the world and you'll get invited to all those events. So that's another thing that I think is really good to remember. It's a really good point. That's actually a really, no, that's actually a really phenomenal perspective for you to share with us because I don't think a lot of directors are necessarily thinking in that way. Um, Do you feel like as a cinematographer you miss out on, on going to those awards and um, shows and being part of that circuit with the directors and producers? Um, I've been really blessed that with my films that have gone to Berlinale, um, the first one that went to Berlinale, my, the director um, made That was sure a short that, film, wasn't it? That was a short film, yeah. That was um, Summer Suit. Mm. <laughs> Summer Suit. And, yeah, the director made sure that Film Vic also gave me access to um, – facilities over there like I paid my way and I paid my accommodation but once I got there I was at all of the parties and I was at all the events and I had the pass and the Bell and Ali team are amazing and yeah and so that that director really welcomed me and then when Mrs McCutcheon went to the actors the director and the producer um are partners and so 
they made sure that they both got a plus one and that I was their plus one because I wanted to make sure that I was part of it. So usually, yeah, I've had really beautiful experiences with the teams making sure I'm part of it. But how far does that extend? It will never extend Mm -hmm. to the group. It will never extend extend to the gaffer. Mm -hmm. And And I can tell that you... Yeah, the, the only relationship that they usually really care about is their relationship with the cinematographer. So what I try and do is um, is also because usually the films that I do have some really important story. I feel they have some really important story to tell. And so I definitely try and enrol my, my HODs and my assistants in what we're creating so that they feel, yes, we are creating this. This is something because you can't make the films without them. Mm. Um, yeah, I am very much a believer in my crew and I know that I'm, I would not be here if I didn't have beautiful people to work with. It's back to the family that you mentioned oh, at the beginning. Mm, yeah. Mm. yeah, like right I want to work for you, Sky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe ask my team first. <laughs> no. I'll be like, no, no, no. <laughs> they know not to give me coffee at a certain time in the day. Just like she gets way too annoying. Um, but yeah, like on right now on the fires, the <laughs> on the B cam team, the first and the second AC both did breathe. And the second AC has done so many short films with me that he, yeah, I said, he said, oh, that's like that short we did together. And I'm like, which one, mate? And he's like, oh. And then <laughs> the second AC on ACAM was on shoot with me. So I make sure that, you know, if they if we work well, I bring them, you know, as we all should, you bring them up. Everyone comes up mm. together and we all rise up together. One last question. What is your advice to short filmmakers? Um, to, to keep aiming high and to hold on hold on to that, that idea. And it may mean that you have to reach that idea through another way and to be really clever about how you achieve that idea, but just to, to really hold on to the essence of what it is that you're trying to create. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more or discover some of the great chats we had in season one, please head to our website, www.theshortfilmpod.com and sign up to get all the latest updates. We also have all the show notes for each episode listed there and links to all these fantastic short films. Until next time, keep creating. Keep creating.